This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. It's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. And uh, as per usual, we will go to your phone calls and your questions, your comments for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. So how are you today, Mr. Mayor? I am good. You know, we had a bit of a slip-slidey weekend, but uh, it all worked out. And, uh, you know, the, the crews out there did a terrific job. You know, a tough one to... Uh, Deal with the kind of snowfall that just keeps on coming and then freezing rain on top of that. Uh, our winter crews did a fantastic job of keeping uh, everything flowing. So I know th- that, thanks uh, for them. I know the number one job, and this goes back to your days as a city councilor and certainly as a mayor, mm. uh, the, the first, hey, my street's not done yet. What are you going to do about this? What about my sidewalk? Yada, yada, yada. But I can tell you something. If I spent a little bit of time traveling around while I was on council and going to other cities. Uh, we've got darn good service here. The Public Works Department here does an outstanding job. We have a pretty high standard, uh, you know, for snow clearing and snow removal. Uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, Toronto doesn't do any of the side streets in Toronto. They do the main roads, and that's it. You're on your own when it comes to side streets. So we, uh, we've we got great coverage, and all the streets get done uh, sooner or later. I happen to live in a court Um Unfortunately, I'm the, the last on the list, and so my neighbors aren't necessarily the happiest people on the planet <laughs> because they know that, uh, you know, well, you're, you're the mayor. Don't, well, you know, everybody gets theirs in, in due time, and it all gets done. Uh, you know, people just need to be a little bit more patient, drive a little slower, uh, take a little bit more care, and everybody gets where they want to go. Anyway, uh, good job by, uh, by public works crews, and uh, hopefully some better weather ahead. Uh, I got a lot of stuff I want to talk about because I know you're getting into some pretty serious budget discussions now mm-hmm. and some rather challenging numbers that you uh, have to look at as a city council. Mm-hmm. But uh, first and foremost, uh, we uh, pay our last respects to uh, the longest-serving mayor in the city of Hamilton, uh, Bob Morrow, who passed away last week. Yeah, very sadly, uh, too young, and uh, you know Bob has had uh, you know a challenging time in the last couple of years uh, with some health issues, and um, you know it was a bit of a surprise that he uh, he did pass, but um, I guess he had a major event and unfortunately uh, succumbed to that. Um, but, you know, Bob was a, you know, a great mayor for 17 years. I would say, uh, you know, he was much loved. He, um, he was the uh, everyman's mayor, and I think some say the, probably the best retail mayor we've had in the city of Hamilton in a long, long time, which basically means he, uh, he was very connected to the people. Uh, you know, we, we, he was, you know, one of the originators and uh, the supporters of Festitalia. He was a uh, part of twinning with uh, a lot of cities uh, in uh, North America and in Europe. Uh, Rakamuto and the Abruzzo region comes to mind. Sarasota, who he he, uh, he happened to love and spent a lot of time in, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and he, he was really, uh, you know, very, very strong on uh, giving people a sense of confidence in the community when uh, when things were particularly tough. Uh, you know, back in the, the day when he was mayor and I, we, we were counselors, uh, you know, we didn't have this kind of development that we hear, see here today. We saw businesses closing. We saw industries downsizing or leaving. And, uh, and his challenge was uh, to continue to, uh, to build a sense of confidence that things will get better. And he did that particularly well. And he sponsored the arts and culture, and, uh, which are all feel-good uh, ty- types of things. For and and he, was, he was ahead of his time in that regard. Yeah, I mean, was. there are a lot of people that said, oh, come on, we're wasting money on the symphony. What are you doing to do with, this, with this, this ballet thing, the Nutcracker? Come on, we have to fix roads. And, and he was, yeah, you'd had to, but, but he understood that, look, there's an economic uplift to this, too. If people feel good about their city... They'll invest in it. Yeah, and, and, you know, the psyche of the city is very important, and that's something I learned from uh, from Bob very early on, and uh, it, it is something you have to be uh, mindful of. Uh, you know, Bob was very keen on and got a lot of criticism around, uh, you know, putting flower beds into uh, the, the islands uh, around the city, something that everybody now cherishes and loves and gives them a sense of pride. Well, he was the champion for that, uh, something that I've continued and others have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, continued to support or bring back. And, then, you know, there was a time when, uh, you know, 
budget cuts, uh, somebody just kind of threw it away. And I think it's absolutely the wrong thing to do. So all of those things are important to the psyche of the community. And uh, he was very strong on that. And he, you know, he would talk to anyone at any time and, uh, you know, always be available for people to to connect with. So he was very much a people's mayor. And uh, I'm going to miss him personally. He was a great friend. Uh, a talented musician, and uh, you yeah. know if you've ever heard him play, or and oh, very. He spent uh, spent uh, a good deal of time in the last uh, number of years at uh, St. Patrick's, leading the choir and playing the organ. He was uh, one, once he got into the zone, uh, he <laughs> lost himself in his in his music, and uh, he was quite amazing. Um, so uh, he's uh, you know he's he's a fascinating man. He's going to be dearly missed, and uh, the service is actually. Uh, on this coming Saturday, the seventeenth, mm-hmm. at the uh, cathedral on James, and uh, at one o'clock, and certainly we welcome everyone to come out. And we have a, a guest book at City Hall that people can sign if they uh, choose to come down and want to leave their uh, their last words about Bob uh, in that book. So, and a lot of people have come in. Lots of people have come in, and I'm you know I'm sure there'll be a big funeral here. You've seen this, and you and I talked about this when Terry Cook joined us uh, the, a couple of days ago. The day after we found out that mm-hmm. Bob had passed away. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's been around here for any length of time in the city has a Bob Morrow story yeah. because because he was always accessible. Uh, no matter who you were, I want to see the mayor. He'd make an appointment. He'd sit down and talk with you, or, or he'd come to your event. Yep. I don't know how this guy, how Bob ever got around to going to the number of events he did on a, on a consistent basis. I mean, five or six events every day, sometimes more than that. And he'd always try to make time to sit down and talk for people. There are some politicians, I won't mention any names, but you and I know who they are, who show up in an event and, and they say their speech and then, well, I got to go now, I got to go. And then they go off and whatever it is they do. Bob legitimately went to another event and made another speech yeah, yeah. and on and on and on it went. Yep, he, just, yep. he always wanted to stay in touch with people. He did. And he, uh, you know, he, I mean, the, the, when he was mayor, politics was his life. He, yeah. uh, he gave his entire, you know, being to uh, what he was doing as mayor. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, we all worried that Bob didn't really have a social life because, uh, you know, we just, uh, everything that he did was connected to something having to do with the city, some events, some of course, he had uh, you know two sons, uh, George and Kerr, and I'm sure he looked after them well. Uh, but uh, it seemed that uh, everything that he did was all city-oriented work, and and he continued that uh, you know to this day he's still participating in events, and uh, you know just recently was named an honorary citizen of Rio de Janeiro. We had a nice ceremony at uh, City Hall, and we're uh, thankful that we were able to at least let him know that we were going to be naming the forecourt at City Hall. Uh, in his honor uh, before he died. Now, our intention was to have him there as part of the ceremony along with his family, but unfortunately that uh, isn't going to happen. But he uh, was very grateful and very, uh, very honored that that, uh, that acknowledgement was being made on, uh, on his behalf. So fortunately, we were able to do that before he passed. Anyway, uh, Christ Church Cathedral down on James Street yep. uh, for the ceremony itself on Saturday and uh, visitation uh, the day before, I believe. Uh, t- Two days two before, days, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think both in the afternoon at the same place, at, at the cathedral. Um, and um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that Bob's been cremated. I'm not, I don't have that detail, but I'm assumed that he has. And, but so visitation would be on Thursday, on the Friday, and then the, and the, uh, the official ceremony, the funeral, is uh, 1 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, 17 mirrors. I don't know if, I, I, you may want to take a run at that record yourself. I don't yourself, think so. But I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, I'm not making any predictions and you know, if, uh, if it turns out that way, great. I'm, uh, I mean, it's an honor and privilege and Bob always saw it that way. Got, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't have his head in the clouds. He didn't think he was anything extraordinary or special. Just, uh, just an individual like everyone else, just doing an extraordinary job. And, you know, I have the same view and, uh, you know what, uh, if people want to keep me around a while, we'll see. 
Uh, I'll, I'll focus on the next election, which is coming up in uh, in, in October. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping to c- continue on and, and, you know, continue the work that we've been doing. And, you know, we're on a we're on a good path in Hamilton. And Bob was very, very proud of where we were uh, today, something that he, uh, you know, and, and the previous councils would have aspired to that is now happening. And, and he had a hand in. So him him continuing to look at diversifying our economy started back when uh, he was mayor. And that has continued on uh, in the 20-some-odd years since uh, he was the mayor. So we're in a good place now. He had a tremendous ability to try to reach out to people in the community. I mean, I I can still remember when I got elected back in the late 1990s, one of the first things Bob tried to do there was to get all the business leaders together and to try to set, you know, basically meeting of the minds. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was John Mayberry from DeFasco it was back then and Stelco and some of the other movers and shakers. And uh, it it didn't quite pan out. I think the spirit was there, but, I mean, we just weren't ready for it yet. But Bob was the sort of guy that pushed forward. And we'll never forget, of course, uh, his efforts to to keep the Tiger Cats alive when not just the Cats but the league itself was on very tender ground. And, uh, And Bob reached out to David Braley. Uh, and then after a while, of course, to the to the public consortium, to Roger Yachetti and, mm-hmm. and others about this. Uh, he is so passionate about that, and he understood that that was part of the Hamilton brand, and we had to maintain that. Yeah, I mean, and it, it was one of the things that if you lose that, then, uh, you know, what really do we have left in terms of the psyche of Hamilton? So he was very, very keen on making sure that that continued. And, uh, and to this day, it's, uh, you know, stronger than it's ever been, and uh, the league has uh, actually flourished, uh, which is a good thing. And of course, we have a new stadium, which, uh, you know, he would have uh, aspired to having, you know, that many decades ago. He was very keen on some of the uh, the sporting events, uh, forever uh, pursuing an opportunity to pull in a Pan Am or, uh, you know, we, I, I don't think we ever applied for the Olympics. But, you know, all the sporting events that happened in our city, the uh, the tournaments, uh, all, all had value to kind of improving the psyche of the community and economic development. You know, you bring in more people, you fill up the hotels. Uh, we now have more t- hotels than we had then, and so we're able to get more of the larger conventions. But Bob never stopped pursuing the kinds of things that would make our city better. And, uh, you know, God bless him for that because he, uh, he worked tirelessly on those issues. Uh, speaking of stadiums and stadium districts, we are going to go to your calls, <laughs> 905-645-3221. Is there a controversy Star around 9900. Stadium? Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. Uh, let me uh, get John on here, though, who's been waiting for a few minutes for his question or comment. John, welcome to the program. How are you this morning? Good. Yourself? Good. Go ahead for the mayor. Good morning, John. About, uh, Bob Morrow, when he filled in for Bernie, he was pushing Ward 3 for a community park. Mm-hmm on a domain class and uh, school moved in there right and uh, recreation center moved in all good stuff mm-hmm. but scott park association was pushed out mm. that's been five years ago we were supposed to have a field down there brian timmons field right sports fields and everything else at the and old the dom glass board, uh, site school board was going to go 50 50 on the field or something mm-hmm. so where is this i mean we're in red zone keep on saying that, but no movement. Yeah, I'll, I'll need to get an update on it. I mean, we, we acquired the Dom Glass property to do an alternative field and uh, sports facility. And, this uh, is just on the north side of Barton Street. On the north side of Barton Street, yeah. So, And that's uh, that's often used for parking for uh, for Tiger Cat games, and, you know, it was used during the Pan Am games, actually, for uh, for overflow parking. Uh, and that is still on the books. I'm not sure what the timeline is, uh, uh, John, but I'll, uh, I could certainly double-check for you and see where we sit in terms of uh, the, the capital budget and uh, how we're going to uh, evolve that. I know that uh, the councillor, uh, Councillor Marula, has been pushing hard on that, as uh, has Councillor Green. 
uh, you know, part of the legacy of uh, Bernie Morelli and the whole, you know, uh, the whole precinct in terms of uh, not only the stadium, but the, um, the, the, new, the new high school and the new uh, rec center that's uh, currently being built. And so uh, I'm not sure where it sits, John, but it's certainly on, on the books. So um, uh, if you want to check back with me at the office at uh, 905-546-4200, um, you, uh, we, we, can, we can get you that information and um, uh, let you know where it sits in the capital budget process. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Thanks for the call. Uh, freeze up a line for your call, your question for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, speaking of the stadium, when are we going to get this lawsuit thing resolved? Well, sooner than, than later, I hope. And, uh, you know, now is probably a Everybody good says time. that, but well, I don't see anybody moving the yardsticks, if I can use a football metaphor. Well, to be fair, uh, you know, we uh, as a city uh, don't feel that we are the ones that are responsible for resolving this. We've done our part. We've, we've actually... Uh, uh, lived up to our, our commitments to uh, to pay for the things that we said we were going to pay for, and we've done that, and we've actually done more than that. Uh, we have been left with a substandard stadium, unfortunately, through the you know, the whole exercise, and we, we have to hang on to some money to finish the stadium, and we want to make sure that we don't add an, an extra burden to the local taxpayer as a result of that. We have $60 million of our own money plus in, in the stadium ourselves, so... Uh, and we weren't the ones that, uh, as a city, the, the ones that actually built the stadium and left it uh, in the condition that it's in. So it's not, it's not falling apart, but there are issues, and you, you know, well reported on. Things are falling down and other issues that have, have to be taken care of. So uh, we're hoping that, uh, you know, that, that, that this is not something that gets uh, lost in the courts. That's where it is now, unfortunately. But the discussions uh, continue on uh, finding the resolve. So uh, just the other day, I talked to Ted McMeekin again, and, uh, you know, I've had a call, call with uh, Bob Young um, on occasion uh, over the last couple of months. So the, the dialogue continues, and uh, I hope we can come. We're not that far apart in terms of resolving this thing. Uh, so let's get this thing done and get this behind. So it's a money issue, obviously. Always is a money issue, and uh, it's you a matter know what, who's where the money's going to come from and, cats, and to where the money will go. Right. Uh, so the Tiger Cats have a claim for things that weren't done that they said were commitments. We believe that those those things were done. Uh, they have a dollar amount. Uh, we have a dollar amount that we're prepared to pay, and so does the province. And there's a there's a gap. The gap isn't. I mean, I, I I'm not going to diminish this. Uh, the gap is probably in the million dollar area. Not small potatoes, but certainly on the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, you know, surely we can figure out how to how to come to terms with uh, those issues between all three parties. So everyone needs to give a little, and uh, hopefully we can get it done. I'm, uh, you know, we've I've gone back to council on a number of occasions said and said, uh, you know, let's let's do our part to see if we can get resolve here, because it's in no one's interest to just uh, you know languish this in the courts. Everybody has costs. Uh, those costs are hardly ever recovered by anybody, and uh, and and still we don't have a resolution at this point. So let's not let's not get into a Red Hill Creek lawsuit that goes on for 15 years that uh, that uh, that uh, is benefit to the lawyers and God bless the lawyers, uh, you know. But they're gonna they're the ones that are gonna make money on this, and uh, we need to resolve. So. The dialogue continues. I hope that uh, in the next couple of months we come to come to some conclusion. Well, everything is connected here. Uh, the Red Hill lawsuit, yeah, which finally got resolved, which ended up giving you the land where Sarkoa yes. is. How about, well, we haven't got time to get into Sarkoa yet. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll do that after the break. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Mayor's Town Hall, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is here with us in studio. Uh, I knew we were going to get one of these. Actually, Shona Thompson from The, the Morning Show was... Uh, uh, tweeting about this just a little while ago, too. And it, it's about road conditions, mm-hmm. Mr. Mayor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from Sarah. Uh, with all the freezing rain and thawing that's been going on, she's actually a Hamilton resident, but I guess uh, spends a lot of time going over to Burlington. 
Uh, their roads don't seem to be as bad as, as ours are. Uh, we've all noticed that, of course, because we had a thaw a couple of weeks ago, and we, I guess, technically know what goes on with the roads, but they're in pitiful condition these days. What are you going to do to fix it, Mr. Mayor? Well, you know what? We've had our crews out trying to uh, to fill the potholes, and we've got a number of them, uh, you know, popping up. And this this uh, freeze thaw cycle that, uh, and then rain, and then freezing rain is 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 just hellish on all of our infrastructure. Quite frankly, uh, you know, with the escarpment, uh, we see more. Spalling going on, and we have more uh, more work to do to shore that up, and uh, and the roads are really showing evidence of that freeze thaw cycle. So, uh, I, I actually at the public works uh, you know budget presentation the other day, I mentioned Main West. I don't know if you've been on Main West, but it's like driving on a corrugated road, and they've tried to patch, and unfortunately in this weather, patches don't work particularly well. So we we not only have the uh, the, the the series of potholes, and, and you know it, it seems to go all the way from uh, from McMaster all the way to uh, to Dundurn. And, uh, and and then you have the grit of the patch, uh, you know, spread out all over the place as well. So it, it's a problem. Uh, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't say every road has a problem, but certainly there's potholes out there. I would say two things. We're going as quickly as we can to fill them uh, temporarily. Uh, it is uh, it is also a function that we we tend to have a, a bouncier road now because there's a lot of freezing going on underneath the road, and that uh, pushes the road up and causes a whole bunch of uh, uh, bumps and, uh, you know, jibs and jives and uh, that will settle out as the spring arrives but uh, those potholes we're going to fix as soon as we can find them and if people are interested in uh, you know tweeting it uh, you know send it to uh, myself or to uh, city at city of hamilton send us a picture tell us where it is we'll get to it as soon as we can we uh, want to minimize damage but uh, at the same time people need to be a little bit more careful because they're going to be there and uh, you know sometimes it's just unavoidable uh, and it's just a rotten time of year for this anyway. And now we got another freeze, and it's only going to make things worse. Mm-hmm. You're not going to do anything wholesale about this until springtime, then. No, I mean the construction season is when we get to deal with uh, you know the serious issues. I, I just mentioned the other day that uh, you know they were talking about leaving Maine Maine West until the LRT uh, gets gets done. Well, that's five or six years down the road, so we can't we can't have that kind of a surface. So they're going to have to look at doing a shave or a shave and pave to kind of smooth it out. Uh, and we'll have, we, we may have to do that in some other areas as well to uh, just kind of uh, fix some of the damage that's, uh, that's occurred. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to manage, as we do every year. Uh, this is not new, but this year has been particularly bad. To your phone calls on the Bill Kelly Show for 900 CHML and Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Ejaz, thank you for holding on. Go ahead for the mayor. Hi, Ejaz. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Go ahead for the mayor. Uh, how are you, Mayor? I am good, Ejaz. How are you? Uh, are, you, are you in the Are you in the cab this morning? Oh yeah, I was uh, driving Uber, and uh, I know all the city yeah. pretty good. And uh, I wanted to have a lot many question on the stadium issue, and I wanted to have a lot many question on the uh, LRT. But mm-hmm. right now, what I'm going to talk about it about the street. Mm. The after this uh, heavy snowfall. Uh, I, the last callers already mentioned about it, but what I found is that more, more than 50% of our streets are, have become a roller coaster. There's a lot of potholes and there's a lot of water puddles mm-hmm. on the sides. And the thing which I want to know is that uh, city spends a lot of money for construction of these roads. And why in one snowfall, the we are getting all these problems are we making these roads substandard or we are not using the proper material 
that in one snowfall that we, we our roads become some roller coasters. So on the other side, I don't know. Last time when we were having a debate, there was $2 billion infrastructure uh, deficit. So how far now we have reached that? How much uh, is the infrastructure deficit at right now? Okay, I'm going to let the mayor respond to that. Thanks so much for the call, Ijaz. So, Ijaz, appreciate that. Uh, you know, we uh, we were probably, uh, you know, at, at, at a similar number in terms of uh, infrastructure deficit. And, you know, we talk about that. We're talking about roads. We're talking about sewers. We're talking about water lines. Uh, the whole picture, including maintenance and repair of uh, buildings and facilities. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with trying to maintain a, a reasonable tax rate and, and still trying to get uh, a lot of this work done all at the same time. And we've said uh, all the way through, as you well know, Ejaz, that we need help and assistance from our federal and provincial partners, and, and today we're getting that uh, in, in specific areas. So on the social housing front, we're getting a lot of help and assistance on the public transport transit fund. Uh, they're providing a lot of assistance, so we're spending more today than we ever have on our infrastructure. And that's the good news. Uh, is there more to do? Clearly there is. Uh, there's nothing that we can do that can account for the kind of weather that we're having these days and the kind of uh, up and down temperatures that just wreaks havoc on the, on the roads. I mean, uh, what happens is, as you probably well know, Ejaz, is that the, <clears throat> the water gets under, underneath the road. Uh, and then uh, when it thaws and then when it freezes, it, uh, you know, as you know, water expands. And so it expands and that causes the bumpiness that you see on the road. Uh, that isn't a fatal flaw that uh, can very much even out when things thaw out in the spring. Uh, what's more uh, happening is that uh, a lot of that is then being chipped away and hit by the plow or whatever's, whatever's being used to actually keep the road clear. So it's a, it's a, it's a problem we're going to face uh, with these kinds of winters. Um, and uh, we, we try to get on top of it as best we can. We are not building substandard roads. Uh, that's clearly not uh, what's happening here. We're building uh, roads that uh, are appropriate. Uh, we do know uh, that, uh, that concrete sta- stands up longer, and uh, for the longest time, concrete has been so prohibitively expensive that we haven't done many of them. We've done a few where, uh, you know, there's high traffic area like Parkdale and on Burlington Street, uh, and that seems to be working out better. Uh, they have a longer life, but when you need to repair them, they, the cost is much higher. So there's always a balance between cost, uh, cost effectiveness and, uh, and, and durability. And uh, to date, uh, you know, asphalt and underlay has probably been the best way to go. At some point, if there's a competitive pricing on the concrete side, we may be able to do uh, more concrete that uh, might have uh, a little bit longer durability. Thanks so much for the call. 645-3221, start 9900. Uh, variations on the same theme, I guess. Let's bring Vic into the conversation. Vic, welcome to the program. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Go Good ahead morning, for the mayor, Vic. Uh, Mr. Mayor, the reason I'm calling is I'd like to find out why they're using, up at Rymel Yard, they have a recyclable plant. And uh, what it is is when the machine comes by and does the road, they put all the... Uh, stuff up at the yard and then they put it into this tumbler and it tumbles it into smaller pieces and they put it in the road you might as well use just crusher run and get a black can of spray paint and spray it because as fast as they put it in there it's pulling it out and the public is seeing this and they're turning around and saying how is it that you're here every day because that stuff when you look at the potholes and you see all this black stone all around the potholes that's the recyclable stuff that they're using Mm -hmm. and it's cheaper to go to the asphalt plant and get regular asphalt than to run that that there if it's being run on a daily basis is eight hundred dollars a day just in fuel mm-hmm. that's not tobacco that's there 
That's not the men that's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the wintertime, it's cheaper and more effective to use KP because when you have the sun shining down like this and the sun's beating on it, the oils now are making that harden up mm-hmm. and stay in the hole. Okay, so do, that's it's do, kind of inside baseball stuff here. That I don't know too many people can relate to that. But uh, do, you uh, work, do you work for the city, Vic? I'm a retired employee. I retired two years ago, and okay. I used to work at a Rymo yard. Right, right, right. That machine cost a quarter of a million dollars. Gotcha. It's been nothing but headaches. So, so, so you know a lot more about this than I do, Vic. Uh, quite frankly, and uh, you know, I, I know that we've had uh, discussions at council and committee about the uh, different products that are being used, and certainly the cold patch that they're, they're, they've used in some areas hasn't held up. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the best method is, uh, you know, at, from from my perspective. Although I know that the regular asphalt might might be uh, might be an improvement, uh, but may not be a uh, you know a, a, a complete uh, resolve either. So, not a not a simple issue. And I think we'll uh, I'll certainly ask about uh, you know other other products that they're using. And I I do know they're using other products that have more durability in some instances. Uh, so I I would hope that uh, they're they're doing the best most cost effective uh, most durable approach that they can use. But there's nothing that is going to last uh, you know longer than uh, than in this kind of an environment, longer than a cold patch is probably not going to last uh, very long anyway. So uh, they're doing their best they can. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, lots of folks that we need to get to here, so we're going to have to move on and get as many folks in here on email, on Twitter, and, of course, on phone uh, for Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Uh, on email, bkelly at 900chml.com. Phil writes, how come there aren't more concerts, major concerts at Tim Horton Field? Uh, other than Keith Urban and Billy Talent, there haven't been any concerts at all. Uh, can't just do it for 10 home games. I'm paraphrasing because he's going down here. It's rather lengthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, why not bring in major artists like U2, Springsteen, Coldplay, etc. during the summer months? Uh, maybe have a two-day festival. Who's in, who's in charge? Well, by the way, I should mention, Phil, uh, the Arkells just announced they're going to yeah. be doing yeah, that concert nice there in June. Those tickets go on sale this week. Uh, and that'll be a great show. Yep. And uh, there's some other acts that are going to be involved in that, too. Who's responsible for this? Is, is Booking talent. Because I know it was it was Bob Young that brought in uh, the Keith Urban show right. with, with Darius Rucker. Uh, is, is, are the Tiger Cats the promoters here? Is the city promoting? What's going on here? Well, actually both. And so, uh, you know, up until uh, about a month ago, uh, you know, the city staff were doing their own <coughs> kind of booking arrangement. <coughs> and uh, and the, uh, the Tiger Cats have rights to certain dates as well. And uh, we now uh, have offloaded the, uh, the opportunity for bookings to Spectra, which is the operator that actually runs uh, First Ontario Centre in Hamilton Place. And so that uh, will hopefully get us more uh, concert venues. These are folks that are in the concert business. And, uh, you know, having an outdoor concert venue, I thought, has always been an attractive opportunity in terms of the new stadium. Don't know why we didn't do it for the past 30 years, uh, you know, based on a Pink Floyd concert. And I, you know, I remember those days and I was always chagrined that we never did another one after that. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's a perfect venue for outdoor concerts. But there was always, always pushback on that. There always well, there, there was kind of local councillor pushback. There were neighborhood pushbacks. Uh, you know, there were some. I mean, this particular concert was a, a bit of a nightmare. Uh, so a lot of rowdy folks uh, doing things that they shouldn't be doing in people's backyards and front yards and everywhere else. Uh, we expect a lot better than that. We've uh, we've we've certainly demonstrated that uh, you know the football games and the uh, the Pan Am experience uh, and the concert that was held here were all very successful and no major major problems. So uh, why not have more? So I agree with the caller. Uh, I I want to I want more as well. And to to engineer that, we've actually asked Spectra to uh, to start doing the bookings uh, for that venue 
given the you know the the, the balance between the, the dates that the Tiger Cats have and the dates that uh, we have available to us. To that end, mm-hmm. uh, last week uh, P.J. McCanny from the Carmen's Group was in the studio here mm-hmm. talking about a letter that he sent to City Council. Yep. Uh, Spectre, who you just referred to, who you've been working with for some time here on these venues, uh, mm-hmm. their contract is up at the end of this year. Right. Uh, there has been an expression of interest from not just the Carmen's Group but other business folks here to uh, to at least have this discussion about perhaps them taking over that sort of a thing too. Now I know that you can't sole source anything, and I know that you don't want to negotiate on the media on this. But are you open to having that discussion? Yeah, we're open to having that discussion. I think what'll uh, invariably end up happening is some sort of a competitive process. But uh, and what you know, what Carmen's is asking for is that uh, we have. The, I think the the agreement has a five year five-year option to uh, roll the contract over to, to the city's benefit. So we, we get to decide whether or not we want to renew or go out to, uh, to tender for, a, for another provider. And, uh, and uh, I, what, what uh, Carmen's put forward was uh, much more than just operating facilities. It was looking at a bigger development play. That which, I which by the way, Spectre will not give you. I mean, they, they do an outstanding job of bringing talent in here. Right. But they're not going to do capital improvements to the facilities. The Carmen's group is suggesting maybe that can be part of the deal. Yeah, and I think or, that's... Or new facilities. And I think we we passed the motion a while ago, uh, s- suggesting that we need to have a better and harder look at the development opportunity, the, the, the potential to renew the convention center, the first Ontario center. Um, they threw in the art gallery, in fact, in Hamilton Place. And so, uh, you know, all of that becomes much, much a much bigger development play beyond just operating. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that we're going to go to a single source uh, arrangement here, but... Uh, uh, if if uh, you know a Spectre wants to partner with uh, you know a developer, they could certainly do that. And I'm sure that there'd be other people interested in potentially having a look at what what could they do uh, in terms of operating these facilities and making them work and uh, and and find the capital dollars to actually renew them. And you know, it comes to mind the Lansdowne uh, you know de- stadium development in Ottawa was very much a uh, a competitive. Uh, market play that uh, that said you know city we'll build a stadium for you if you allow us to do the development around it and they've created quite a quite an interesting residential commercial uh, development around the stadium that uh, that's worked particularly well for them so i think a, a similar model of that that ilk will help us uh, but I imagine it will go to a competitive process. But certainly appreciate their, uh, I mean, they've been a good provider at uh, the convention center. They've demonstrated their ability to, uh, to, to function well there. Uh, they have ambitions to grow their, uh, their, their business and their, uh, their, their uh, operating capacity and, and potentially development capacity in the city of Hamilton. So I uh, really appreciate They do fantastic work. And uh, the more people that are you know, looking to do these kinds of things, the better off our city will be. I had occasion to speak to those folks uh, from the Ottawa group uh, mm-hmm. about three, four years ago, I guess. This is before they actually even put a shovel in the ground. Uh, and and they, they were telling me, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but they essentially said that the, the discussion with the city, they said the stadium was almost a throw-in. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean to belittle that because it costs a lot of money to build a stadium, but mm-hmm. they said, we're going to make our money from the retail. And I was up there for Grey Cup last year, and it's an incredible neighborhood. I, I, you, I've been to the old lands down, and I saw what that was like. It was tired. It was dilapidated. It's m- remarkable what they've done, and it's kind of what we envisioned for the stadium district here. It hasn't worked out that way, but maybe you got a chance to do that with an arena. True, and that's that's the point. And uh, you know, we know that uh, our convention facilities is undersized and getting old and uh, and tired. And uh, you know, some at some point we're going to have to either decide that we're going to hold on to what we have and just uh, continue to uh, to maintain it, or we're going to go with something bigger. 
no decision made on that, but that's something we have to look at. And the First Ontario Centre is in, in the same kind of boat. Uh, it's not, uh, not up to NHL standards. Uh, you know, whether or not it happens is a whole other issue. Uh, what are we going to do with the stadium? We have a, a current uh, Bulldogs owner that's talking about a, an alternative, uh, smaller-sized uh, uh, arena that uh, he would like to, uh, to be part of. And so uh, when we look at all of that, we say, well, we better make sense of what we've got right now and decide what are we going to do. And if, if that then means that we're going to repurpose these buildings, then uh, what, what other arena space are we going to create and where is that going to be? I don't have any of those answers, but that's something that we're going to have to sort out sooner rather than later. Back to your phone calls. The Bill Kelly Show on CHML with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Steve, thank you for holding on. Go ahead for the mayor. Good morning, Mr. Mayor. How are you today? Great, Steve. How are you? Very good. I just want to make a uh, quick uh, comment. Uh, myself, I work on the ground in the boring I, I bore tunnels, so I'm usually in the dark. Uh, call it what you want. Um, <laughs> But working in in, uh, various different cities and municipalities, being a a Hamiltonian, um, I just want to say, you know, thank you for all the city staff and yourself and the whole process because I see many, many uh, different uh, services as far as winter operations. I think we're very fortunate. I think we're very lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know much about contracting. I'm not going to pretend that I do, but... Uh, I do notice the city vehicles, the city staff working hard, and uh, it's never easy. Working underground, I know how the frost affects the ground, mm-hmm. and uh, we're fortunate that um, there's, there's, there's many, many, many worse places and worse roads in Ontario. I'll, I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's all relative and comparative. I mean, people, you know, I, I, and, and I appreciate that comment, Steve. I mean, uh, we work uh, exceptionally hard as a city to, uh, to maintain uh, what we have and, and at the same time keep a reasonable tax rate. And that's been a, an issue uh, going forward as well. And so uh, very much appreciated on that comment. And every, every city has the same challenges, uh, quite frankly. I mean, it was in Ottawa recently. I mean, their roads are in the, the same kind of condition ours is, is maybe even worse. Because they're uh, they're up and down uh, temperatures are even more extreme, and so uh, you know we suffer from the same things that most municipalities do, and uh, we'll deal with them in the same way. I got about a minute or so left. Uh, I want you to comment about uh, the story that we carried last week here on the program about intelligent cities and yeah. Hamilton's competition. Uh, this is something that you've been pushing for the longest time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're down to the short list now. Yeah, where, this you know, is a we, short list we made. Yes, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's not a simple process of just uh, just saying uh, we'd like to be uh, considered for this. There's there's quite a rigorous application process that looks at all the things that you're doing as a community, whether whether it's collaborating or partnering with, uh, you know, your major institutions, or looking at your digital capacity, your broadband capacity, your data services, and how do you use all that data to actually improve your decision making. So it was quite a rigorous process. We previously made top twenty one. And, uh, and this year, uh, we, we waited a couple of years to reapply because we've, we're doing some other great collaborative things that uh, improve our standing, that this year we were, uh, we were designated uh, top seven. So uh, out of 300 municipalities around the world, so this is not, this is not small potatoes. This is, this is really an indicator that we're on a path that uh, we'll be able to demonstrate how we use data, how we uh, aggregate data, how we partner with our major institutions, uh, develop that sense of innovation in our community, which is happening on many different fronts. Uh, all of that factors into, uh, you know, future jobs and employment. So it's not, not just about the designation. I mean, that's the, that's the bonus. That's the cherry on top. If somebody uh, ultimately says you're number one in the world, well, we'll use that to, uh, to market ourselves. But the reality is the things that we're doing matters most, and uh, that is going to 
It'll lead to future jobs, future innovation, <clears throat> future opportunities for our citizens. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, thanks so much. Uh, we're out of time, but we'll uh, hook up again in a couple of weeks and do this again. Brilliant. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. In a Facebook post over the weekend, former Ontario progressive conservative leader Patrick Brown has said that he can disprove the allegations of sexual misconduct that were leveled against him last month, which ultimately led to his resignation as a party leader. And asked, uh, well, he was asked actually to step away from the caucus as, as, as part of the ongoing investigation that's going on. He said some of the specific details uh, contained in the report from CTV News are inaccurate and untrue. Uh, well, uh, can he prove that? And uh, can he get his political career back? Richard Brennan joined us, a uh, retired journalist, longtime journalist, of course, with the Toronto Star, covering Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years to uh, give us his perspective on this. Richard, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you here today. Hi, Bill. How are you? Good. Listen, before we get into the Patrick Brown thing, uh, a, a lot of uh, uh, social media uh, reaction to uh, to the death of Chris Stockwell, a former MPP and Speaker of the Legislature, uh, a guy that you watched for many, many years. Uh, what, what were your thoughts about Chris? Well, Chris was a, a spectacular uh, speaker. He was flamboyant. Uh, what I like to one of the memories I have is when when he was speaker. There's you know there's a speaker's apartment in the legislative building. Yeah. And well, I just remember you know we'd be working late on something. You hear these kids running up and down the hall squealing and that. And I thought that was so neat. He brought a brought a real sense of family to to that position, and that stands out. But no, he was a. Uh, he was, a, he was a good friend of, of, of reporters. You know, he's always good for a quote. And he was just a, you know, just a, a really good guy. Uh, a lot of fun to be around. Tim Hudak uh, tweeted a little earlier this morning. Tim said uh, he was a, said that Chris Stockwell was such a great speaker because uh, when he was just an MPP, he broke most of the rules himself, so he wouldn't take any guff from anybody. <laughs> so, uh, oh, God, no. And that's what, even though he was a conservative boy, I tell you, he wasn't... Uh, he wasn't faint of heart when it came to uh, putting his own party in place when they were out of line. That was the fun part. Of it. Yeah, outstanding uh, parliamentarian and, and uh, legislator for the longest time. Uh, he, age 60, far too young. Uh, but, uh, oh, well, it sure is. I'll tell you, cancer uh, strikes again. Yeah, anyway, uh, a guy who's got... And, and, and you know, it's interesting uh, when you see the, the, the comments... Uh, as uh, that news came to light, uh, it's bipartisan. I mean, people from all three political parties are just saying, you know, this, this guy, he knew how to get it done. He was just outstanding at his job. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, you know, he finally became a cabinet minister. Uh, Harris, for the longest time, kept him in the uh, back benches. But uh, when, uh, when he got in power, he became a cabinet minister, as I recall. And, um, no, and he, and he you know, did a good job. He Ran into a couple bumps here and there, but I just remember his time as speaker. That was that was the best part. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to the Patrick Brown situation. I, I guess we kind of anticipated that this was going to happen. That there was going to be some sort of a rebuttal from Patrick Brown about these charges. Uh, he was not going to go quietly into that good night. Uh, so he has responded on social media, as it turned out. Uh, and let me ask you the first obvious question. Because Christine Elliott's commented about this, and others have too. Once something like this happens, Richard, whether it's right or wrong, the accusations have been leveled, the resignation has been tendered and accepted. Can you get your political career back? Well, that, that's a good question. I, I think you can if if you can disprove the allegations against you. Why not? 
I mean, you know, if they're if they're unfounded, and I'm not saying they are, they are. But if they're unfounded, why, why shouldn't you be able to get back on track? I I, I don't see why not. But, you know, particularly particular in, in this uh, case. But I don't know. Uh, here's a guy that says, you know, I'm going to clear my name. I'm going to clear my name. Well, do it then. You know, are you going to talk about it or are you going to do it? Well, that's the thing that first struck me when I saw this story yesterday, uh, and I, I read the Facebook posting, and I thought, and he did he did highlight a couple of different things about what he said were some discrepancies in in the uh, the recounting of the story uh, about you know whether or not there was even a door on the bedroom in one of the incidents, and that the other person may have been the aggressor. So, I mean, he sort of laid a case out from this. But well, yeah, well, yeah, can I just jump yeah, in there for one second? Sure, sure. The other person's the aggressor. How often have we heard that? You know, if everything's true, you know, or even parts of it is true, you know, had, there was, you know, two women who had obviously had too much to drink, and he doesn't drink at all. And the bar, I think, for an MP or an MPP, regardless of what party they're in, is higher then, you know, it should be for everybody else. We voted them in for many reasons. One of them was, you know, their credibility and, and, and knowledge of politics and, and, and their honesty. The point is, if, if he uh, even alleged to do part of what, you know, we're, we're, we have put in front of us, the thing is that one of them was a teenager. I don't you know, put aside all the allegations, I got a question, the man's, judgment and that you know if i was you know if i was a a person that was in charge you know the leader of that i might i would probably look more at his judgment right now right because the allegations aren't proven his judgment on what how he behaved in light of what we've been told which is one of the questions that was raised when this story broke yeah it's whether uh, he's right, or whether the accusations are right, uh, the actions are, are one part of the debate, certainly. But the overriding it, and I think you talked about this the, the, the first day or two after that, is what was he doing putting himself in that position in the first place? Well, absolutely. That, that again, goes to judgment. What's, you know, and you got, you know, the people had heard about rumors, you know, well, we can't print rumors, you can't broadcast rumors. But we have allegations here. But the rumors of his his behavior have been around for a very long time. Not not that we can prove we couldn't prove them. So, you know, you know the allegations and they're still not proven. But the point is, where there's I really truly believe now, I'm saying where there's smoke, there's fire, and there's something here. I can't put my finger on it, but there is definitely something going on. Let's let's talk about process for a couple of seconds, if we could. By the way, we should mention that uh, in light of uh, the Facebook posting where Brown has said that he can disprove these things, uh, CTV has responded and say they stand by their story and uh, the reporting that they did on this. Uh, so with that context, I, I want you to, if you could, Richard, uh, walk us through the process. I mean, in your time covering Parliament Hill and certainly Queen's Park over the years, uh, you broke some stories that, uh, let's face it, we're going to rub an awful lot of people the wrong way. And and you knew that, okay, as soon as this thing hits the streets, uh, they're going to be ticked off. They're going to they're going to try to discredit us, etc. How do you how how do you as and you and your editors because it's got to be a collaborative process here when you're working for the newspaper. 
uh, decide, yeah, we're going to go with this, uh, despite the fact that we're going to take some flack for it because we truly believe in it. There's, there's got to be a body of evidence, I would think, to just simply say, well, it's worth it because this is a story that has to get out. How do you make that determination? Well, in, po- in politics, it's, it's often the public's right to know. You know, they're, they're playing fast and loose with the taxpayers' dollars. You know, they're doing things that are inappropriate. It's the public's right to know. You know, in other matters, you know, uh, and that may not be the kind of the key factor, but in, certainly in politics, that really applies. You, you've gotten, okay, you've been given a tip, and you follow this tip up, and you go over it, and you check it out, and check it out, and check it out, you know, three, four, how many times it might be. And then you bring it to your editor and say, look, this is what I've got. And I have had it confirmed four or five, six times that this has happened. I have I have a brown envelope that says that this happened. And in all the information you can get, the more information you get, the better. You present that to uh, an editor, and the editor will look at it and say, well, you know, maybe you don't have this aspect of it. You don't have that aspect. Are you being fair here? Are you giving, you know, the person, that, you know, their right to uh, uh, rebuttal? And, of course, you will always have to do that. But in the Kostar's case, we had our own in-house lawyer, and I mean in-house. And believe me, he would go through that, a story when, at that point when the story is written, line by line, word by word. And, and he would say, you know, have you confirmed this? Have you, have you made sure this is absolutely right? Have you gotten back to the person and asked them how this did or did not take place? And that's, and basically, you know, it, it just, it, that goes on for several, you know, it can go on for days or months before, before the story finally gets it out. And you know, you have to have all your T's crossed and your I's dotted absolutely 100% before that story hits the street. So the, the, it's not as if there's some, you know, headline-seeking uh, editor that's just saying, hey, this is salacious, yeah, let's go with this. Uh, they you know, they no, go over this yeah. thing. Oh, like I say, line for line, word for word. You have to, you can't disparage your person because they have the right to take you to court. That's their right, and and they do if you've made if you've made a mistake or whatever. But the point is, you have to be absolutely one hundred percent sure if and fair. And if you're not, well, then you go to court and and it comes out in the wash. There, it is. It's not like. Sure, it's a good story. A- absolutely, you know, somebody if a if an MP or MPP is is spending taxpayers' dollars foolishly, and you can prove it, well, you better be able to prove it. But it had the public's right to know how he or her conduct themselves when you aren't watching. And, and we saw that with some of the star investigations into things like gas plant and, and e health oh, and some of those issues, uh, which you knew was going to get some pushback on. But but obviously, you guys did the homework on that, you stood by the story. But but when you t- do something like what CTV did in, in the Brown story here, Richard, uh, it's not just about taxpayers' money. It's, as you've articulated already, uh, it's about judgment in some cases. And that's 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 a, a, a kind of a fuzzy line, I guess. It's almost open to interpretation. Well, you... Just because you're up in Ottawa and you're away from home and you're single... And you don't be, you don't get to conduct yourself like like you're you know hanging around the game uh, gang after you know playing hockey you know and 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 just you know acting 
maybe half your age at the time. You don't get to act like that. I know too often it happens, but the thing is, the bar has been set, and you better keep over that bar at all times. And if they don't, then again, the public has the right to know how you're conducting yourself and your judgment. And then maybe, you know, in four years, they'll decide whether they, they like the way you've conducted yourself. But in the old days, uh, when you were just a young buck starting out and, and covering politics like this, uh, was was the mantra then what's uh, what happens on Parliament Hill stays on Parliament Hill or Queen's Park, whatever the case might be? Well, I, I, sure. There's is, is there a difference between now and then? Absolutely. But women have come forward. Women, you know, everybody's starting to say, well, the pendulum's swinging too far the wrong way. They're making allegations. They're half allegations. You know, he looked sternly at me one time and that upset me, that kind of stuff. But the point is, this is a, a culmination of decades and decades of women having to put up with the nonsense. And they're finally coming out. And, you know, sure, the pendulum may swing a bit the other way, but you can understand why, why it's happening. And, and from, from my point of view, I don't, what, what uh, people got away with when I first got, you know, hit the streets in 1972 were far different than what's expected of them now. And I, and I say, and I applaud it. It's, you know, sure, it was different back then, but that didn't make it right. I mean, because we've heard the stories, and historically the perspective has changed. And we, we, we knew that, the, the, for instance, the Washington press, they knew about the dalliances of, of JFK. Uh, nobody said anything about it, and, and subsequent presidents, for that matter. And, and it was just like, yeah, yeah, but that's, that's then, and we don't do anything about that. But, and, and what's the matter with the pendulum swinging? But Because there have been stories about you know, somebody, an elected official, that maybe drank too much, and maybe that clouded their judgment, or was doing something else, and... You know, well, these guys are, these women are a long way from home, and you know what they do there is their own business. Uh, but they're they're bound to, uh, I guess, be under more scrutiny than they were back in those days. The job has changed. Uh, the, the money has certainly changed. The responsibilities have changed. Why shouldn't the scrutiny change? And why why should somebody in power be allowed to get away with abusing that power? To me, that's never been acceptable. And that's why those who are suggesting that the pendulum was swung, well, maybe, you know, the response to that is, well, it's about time. Uh, not just about sexual misconduct, but about a whole lot of other things. Uh, yeah. and, and I know that uh, you've heard the, the complaint from a lot of people saying, you know, Brennan writes stuff like that. It's no wonder nobody wants to go into public office. Well, if you're going to act like a jerk, you shouldn't go into public office then. Well, no, you know, I mean, exactly. If you're, you know, if you get, you know, so I write about somebody who's got caught with their, you know, hand in the cookie jar. That shouldn't deter anybody else from running. All you, the lesson learned here is, you don't behave that way. That that's not there's not a red flag going up and say, look, beware. You know, if uh, if you run for politics, you may just get a story written about you by Richard Brennan. Well, that's not the case at all. If you if you do your job and behave in a professional manner, uh, other than you know a few, you know, missteps here and there on talking politically. Yeah, you might have a story about you. But the point is, you you can't conduct yourself like like you're just, you know, you know, back in the streets in, in Brantford or Hamilton or Ottawa or Windsor and, and just hanging around. You just don't get to do that anymore. 
There's an interesting dynamic at play here, and and, and Brown obviously has gone on the offensive uh, with his Facebook post, and uh, you're you're right, I think, because I've heard the same characterization from others, that it's not really proof of his innocence, it's just his version of it, and uh, I guess now it's a he said, she said situation, and I don't know that that's going to prove anything. But the underlying story here that that he didn't touch on, uh, that I know you've talked about, is uh, whatever happened in those rooms at those particular times, uh, the reality here is there cer- certainly appeared to be members within the Progressive Conservative Party that used that story to get rid of Patrick Brown. In other words, that that, that they may not have had anything to do with the allegations, but they seized that opportunity and say, we don't want this guy leading this party into the next election. So I, I would question whether or not they even want him back into the fold. No, I don't think they do, uh, quite frankly. Uh, and you know what? I think I've said this to you before, Bill. I think the whole thing was actually orchestrated by the Progressive Conservative Party. Do I have any proof about that? Absolutely not. But it, it's, it's certainly my gut that there's somebody inside the party saw this as an opportunity to to, uh, to get rid of Brown because he was, as we've often talked about before, he was not well-liked. Well, especially since then, with the three people that seem to be uh, in front right now for the PC leadership, uh, all of them, some of them reluctantly, seem to want to make a little hard right turn and take that party back. They don't like a lot of the stuff that Patrick Brown was trying to do right now. So it, it, it does look more and more like a palace coup. Well, a lot of, you know, I don't, uh, I haven't uh, committed their platform, Brown's platform to memory, but it, it, it sounded, it sounded a lot, a lot like a liberal light. I mean, it mm-hmm. was very, you know, middle of the road. And, I, and progressive conservatives governed this, you know, this part of the province for a very, very long time because, they, they kind of were on the right side of the middle of the road, you know, not nothing too crazy. And I think what they're doing is, well, where, why would we go left? Because the liberals have that, that ground staked out. So why would we not go back to our traditional position where, you know, we're a little right or a little right of center or right center? That seems to be the mindset. It's it's amazing to watch the dynamic and uh, to see the feedback on Brown's uh, Facebook post so far. And it's, uh, well, speculative, I guess, at best to decide what next steps are going to be from Brown. Richard, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the time today. Good talking with you again. Okay, Bill. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Richard Brennan, of course, a retired journalist, uh, covered Queen's Park for many, many years for the Toronto Star. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.